Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and it reads as follow. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's Jesus speaking in that, that verse right there. Flip over now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the second part of the scripture we're looking at today. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse number 37. Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, excuse me. Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, and it reads as follows. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and departed them to all men, every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for a chance to study your word and to learn from your word. Please watch over us in this Chinese school season as we try to spread your word. And be with you now as try to speak your word. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are indeed in the Chinese school season now. And the Chinese school season is really about getting people out to church, ultimately, right? We know that. That's uh, what uh, Nathan Melvin been talking about the past couple of weeks and mentioning about and hyping up the flyer passing and so on and so forth. And that'll be coming up, as you know, meeting will be right after, right after this. We'll have the flyer passing meeting, right? But I figured we'd look a little bit at today about what God says about all this. Right? What God says about adding numbers to the church, bringing people to the church, building up the church, building the church. Right? And tried to do a little image here, didn't turn out very well, of little cranes, right? Building up the church, right? So, what does God have to say about this? How do we go about doing this? You know, that's kind of what we'll look at a little bit today. So, but before we talk about that, we start with the initial uh, beginning overview which is, of course, what is God's church to begin with, right? If you're going to say, build God's church, what is it that we're building? Now, we remember, and that's been said before, and it bears repeating, that the church is made up of the people, right? God's church is made up of Christians, right? Christians. We Christians are what make up the church. And the church is not a building. It's not a location, right? If this building were to collapse tomorrow, there's an earthquake tomorrow, we could meet out in, the, in, in a park somewhere and we'd still be a church, right? Because the church is comprised of all its members. It's united Christians together, worshiping together, right? You can worship anywhere, right? Didn't matter when we were worshiping at YMCA, right? Doesn't matter we're worshiping here. Doesn't matter worshiping wherever. This congregation is God's church. The congregations all over the city of San Francisco worshiping right now is God's church, right? The congregations worshiping all over the world, wherever they are, they are God's church also. That's what God's church, God's church is its people. That's the most important thing. The important thing is to have people. So building up the church is really talking about building up the membership of the church, right? 
When you're going to grow the membership of the church, you're not talking about growing the building to expand the space and make it larger and this and that. A lot of it, is, that's not what it really is talking about, right? What we're really talking about is building up the people, the people. And we're talking about the people in the church, we're talking about the Christians, right? The saved people, right? Some churches, they try to get in a lot of people in the door, right? And uh, maybe that's what we're going to try to do later on in Chinese school, right? But just because you're in Chinese school, that's because you're inside the four walls of this church, doesn't mean you're part of the church, right? Remember, the church is not the building. The church only talks about people who were saved. Now, we have in a, the, the verses we read today in Acts chapter 2, uh, what they what people typically consider the beginning, the start of the church, right? The start of the church age, as some would say. And we get the example of what they did back then and see how it applies to, you know, what we do now, right? This is the story of Pentecost, the famous story of Pentecost, which is a big festival, a feast that they had back in those days that many people were around Jerusalem back then. They were there, and what happened was that the Holy Spirit had descended on the disciples of Jesus Christ. And they were there ready to start the church, to build the church. And how they do that? By spreading his word, by getting people saved. We read the tail end of it, where Peter's speaking and calling on people to repent from their sins, to get saved, to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we read in the verses that people did get saved, right? They heard that message. They were convicted in their heart. They accepted Christ as a Savior. They got baptized. And the church grew. How much did the church grow? Wow, the Bible even tells us, right? That day, how many were there? There were 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls, right? The number has meaning. That's why God put it in there, right? To show that the church grew. And we see that, if you remember from our study of the book of Acts, we see many instances, right, where they talk about the numbers, right? Oh, this many people got saved, right? That's what God did back then at the very start of the church. And that's kind of the example for us going forward, right? It wasn't just, oh, this is a neat story. Something happened at Pentecost, right, that, that Peter was able to give the message and speak in different languages and people got saved. Great. It's a lesson for us, too, that we look at it as our example. How did they build the church back then? To how do we build the church now, right? So the key thing is not just to have all the people in one place, right? Back then, Peter talked to thousands of people that were gathered there for the feast. The point is to get them saved. Only then are they part of the church, right? Like we said, we're going to be inviting all these people out to Chinese school. Doesn't mean that they're part of the church yet, right? They could be here for weeks and weeks and be Chinese school inside our building for weeks and weeks. The key, the reason why we invite them to Chinese school, why? Is to do what? To get them saved. And then, and only then, they become part of the church. They become part of this congregation. They become yet another Christian. And that, of course, is our hope. And that, of course, is what God's hope is for his church. We add to his church, we build his church by getting people Say. Second point. So that's what God's church is all about. Second point. Who builds God's church? And something important I think bears mentioning because something we lose sight of sometimes, right? That should be obvious, but actually isn't. We're talking about who builds up God's church. Who's supposed to do it? 
right? Who's responsible to adding to the church, getting people saved, right? A lot of times we think the answer is us, right? But actually the Bible says something completely different than that, right? The Bible says Jesus will build God's church. In Matthew chapter 16, that verse we read, when Jesus is talking to Peter, he says, you're the rock, right? He says, you're the leader. You're the rock, right? But what does he say? He says, you're the rock on which, what does he say? He says, I, Jesus is talking here, right? I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus builds the church, he says. What about in these verses we read here in, verse, in chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse number 47. Verse number 47, what happened at the very last sentence is here? And the Lord, the Lord, right, added to the church. The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. It is Jesus who builds the church because it is Jesus who saves we don't build the church because we're not the ones doing the saving. Let me ask you, did we die on the cross? Answer, no. Did we forgive anyone's sin? Answer, no. Who did that? It was Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. It's only through Jesus that there's salvation. Salvation is not through Norman Lau. Salvation is not through Chinese Bible Church. Salvation is through Jesus alone. Becoming a Christian is through Jesus alone. The work of getting people saved is by Jesus alone. Chinese Bible Church, you hear Melvin speak in shorthand sometimes and say that, oh, thousands of people have come to this door and gotten saved, and you know, Chinese Bible Church got X thousand of people saved, right? Well, no, the answer is we've gotten zero people saved. Jesus got all those people saved, right? There's a reason why when we talk about getting people saved, we use the word witness, right? right? You're witnessing to people. You're not saving people. Why do you use the word witness? Witness, we use the word witness because it represents us just being present for God's work, right? We are a witness to Jesus saving this person. That's why I have that terminology. It's not anything that we do, right? When we talk about Jesus and the gospel and all those things, it's that person's own heart that gets convicted of the gospel. It's when that person receives the message of Jesus Christ, when that person accepts Christ in their heart, something only known between God and them, that's when they have salvation. It's nothing that we can control. Now, of course, as we just said, being a witness, we're there. We're a part of it. We help. We have a role. But we're not doing it. It's God. It's Jesus who builds up the church. So a lot of times people think, oh, that there's some kind of strategy, right? Oh, is there some kind of strategy to get the big numbers, right? How do we make it so they have the huge, gigantic church, this, that, and the other thing, right? There's no strategy. Ultimately, it comes down to what God does. If God touches the heart of the people. We do our work and we do all we can to kind of set the stage, set the stage for God, set the stage for Jesus. But ultimately, whether or not you have the big number, the small number, who knows? Only God. It's between God and that person, whether they get saved, right? We help Jesus in building his church. That's our role, right? Some of you guys heard Nathan talk last week, right, about the importance of flyer passing, Right? Why is flyer passing so important? 
Why do we need to help God flyer passing? And he said, kind of off the cuff, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate, he says, oh, God can't pass out the flyer himself. Well, we know that's false, right? Of course God could pass out the flyer himself. He has magical, supernatural powers. He could snap his fingers and flyers would appear in everyone's mailbox in one second, right? But that's not the point. The point is that he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that. Why is that? Why can't it be that God just snaps his finger and everyone in the world has flyers? Or he snaps his finger and everyone shows up to church tomorrow and worships him? Because that's not what God wants. God wants us to choose to worship him. And God has set forth the way he wants his church to work. And we've talked about this recently, I believe, right? We talked about how he wants Christ to be the head of the church, right? That's when we studied the book of Colossians. When we started the book of Colossians, we talked about how he wanted Christ to be the head of the church and for the members to be what? Look, we talked about it at that time, right? We're the hands, we're the feet, we're the arms, right? He doesn't want to make it so that, oh, Jesus is the head in everything. Jesus is the head in charge, right? And we work to serve him. That's the way God wanted it. That's why we do it that way, right? He could have made it some different way. He could have made it that Jesus does everything, right? Jesus is a, is a supernatural son of God. He could do everything. But that's not how he set it forth. He set up this pattern. Jesus is the head, giving instructions to us. We read the Bible. We read his instruction, right? We listen to his instruction. We follow his instruction. We carry out his orders. We help him to get his work done, to get more and more people saved. We help him lay that groundwork. We lay the seeds. We plant the seeds of that gospel message in the people. We get the people in the door to hear that message. Now, once we plant that seed, it's up to Jesus, right? And that person to make that seed grow. Who knows, right? We can't control that person. We can't see inside anyone's heart. That's when Jesus takes over. But it's up to us to do the groundwork, to do the initial work. And only through that initial work does God really have a chance to build up his church. So how do we go about doing that? How do you go about doing that? Well, here's a few simple things that I thought about in how we help God. How do we do the groundwork for him, right? The first thing sounds super elementary. Sounds super elementary, super obvious, but I think it bears repeating nonetheless. The first thing is we have to, write, we have, to have the right message. We have to have the right message. The message is the message of God. The message is the message of Jesus, who died on the cross to take away our sins. Jesus, who resurrected himself three days later. Jesus, God's own son, that through our faith in him, that we get salvation. That's the message. It's a universal message, right? It's a message that should be the same in the past, when Peter was preaching it, the same today when we're preaching it, the same when we heard our missionaries from China come to visit, you heard them preach, you heard them talk about the gospel, it was the same for them, it's the same. That unchanging gospel message. Sadly, the gospel message has been changed by some people over the years, right? You heard Melvin just talk about it a couple weeks ago, right? When he talked about all these people that changed the message. It's not the same message of God anymore. It's not salvation by faith alone. It's not Jesus alone. It's been changed. It should never be changed. It's the same. The same for Peter. The same for us. The same forever. It's Jesus always. should always be our primary message, our primary focus. You know, how important is it 
It should be our number one thing when we're talking about building the church, right? Getting more people to know God. There's a lot of churches, too, that subscribe to that, but also get sidetracked. You know, there's a lot of good things that they do, right? And I'm not saying that the things that they do are necessarily bad. In fact, a lot of things are really good, right? But they're not following the most elementary thing, which is the gospel message. For example, you know, a lot of churches, for example, the, you know, don't want to be talking about it in, in too negative a light, but you know, a lot of, for example, the black church, right, talks a lot about nowadays, especially you see in the news, their focus is on issues of racism, right? And it's been in the news all over this past week, right, about how we need, uh, you know, to stand up to, uh, to racism and talk about the importance of racial equality. And again, all those things are good things. It's not bad to have racial equality and sure God being in support of all these things. But the primary message of the church should not be, let's talk about racism, right? It should be to talk about the gospel. The church is not built on the message of, let's not be racist. That's a good message. It's an important message, sure. But that's not the primary message of the church, right? That's not a message that builds the church, that builds God's church. The message that builds God's church is a gospel message. And that's why you hear it so much over here. Sometimes people say they get sick of hearing it from me and from Melvin and from Nathan over and over again, right? Why is it over and over again? Because it's that important. Because it's what God has commanded us to do, to build his church, to lay that foundation. We have to lay that foundation from letting people hear that message over and over again. When Nathan was talking about last week, Talking about people getting the chance to hear the gospel from being witnessed to, and then hearing again during the Christmas concert, and hearing again other times. I think what he's talking about is that, you know, that's kind of the methodology that, hey, you know what, we do the, you know, if you don't succeed one time, try and try again, right? It's the Chinese Bible church way to follow God's way, to say, hey, we plant the seed one time, oh, God didn't make it grow that time, we try to plant the seed again, right? We get that gospel in their ear, right? So that they hear it at least once, right? That it's in there. That somewhere, hopefully in the future, God can touch them. Some, for some people, it's immediate. We know that for some people, it takes a long, long, long time before they ever realize or ever decide to turn to God and accept the, that gospel message. But folks, we have to know this gospel message. And I hope all you guys know it. We've talked about it enough times that you can share the gospel message, right? Whether it be us sharing it personally in our lives, to sharing it by inviting people to church so they can hear the message from a speaker. Whether it be through any other event where the gospel message can be shared. Whether it be through tracks, through the written word, nowadays through audio, video, whatever the technology there is nowadays, that we make that gospel apparent to people to be shared with everyone. Point two, we have that message. We've got to persevere in sharing it. We live in an age right now where it's hard for Christians, where the church isn't very popular. You know, back in Peter's day, I dare say that Jesus is popular, right? How is he able to get 3,000 saved in one day? Right? How is God able to get 3,000 saved in one day through Peter's message? I think part of this was really popular. He could speak and thousands of people were excited to hear it. Oh, let's hear what Peter has to say, right? 
in that day and age, that's what it was. And throughout history, you look at it, there's deferring levels of uh, popularity of uh, Christianity, right? And deferring levels of how much people like uh, Jesus and the gospel message and so on. I think nowadays we're at, an, uh, at a low time, right? You talk about church and you talk about church stuff and you talk about Jesus. A lot of people, especially in San Francisco, you know, they might look at you funny. They might think certain things about you, ascribe certain personality traits to you just by the fact that you say, I am a Christian, right? They might think that you're some, you know, backwards thinking person. They might think that you're some prejudiced person, right? Oh, you don't like homosexuals or you don't, you don't believe in the science of evolution or whatever. We've gotten to the point where the opinions, the opinions that favor what God teaches have become, you know, a negative blot on us, right? We saw recently when you hear about, uh, as Melvin mentioned, right? When you hear about people speaking out, for example, against transgenderism. We know transgenderism isn't a Bible principle. People speak out about it, what happens? You see all the social media, there'll be uproar against you. Oh, how can you not support these people, you know, and their right to do whatever they want to do with their body and act however they want in public and so on, right? It's become that controversial to even say something in favor of what the Bible says, right? Speak in favor of the Bible, face possible backlash. And so it goes that the gospel message, even more so, doesn't make us popular, right? Let's think about what that gospel message is for a second. You go up to someone, you tell them, guess what? You're going to hell. Oh, you know, that's, that, that's not a very that right thing to say, right? Oh, you're going to hell. Guess what? You sinned. You're a sinner. You did a lot of bad stuff in your life. You need to repent from your sins and say sorry. That's not a very hopeful and happy message, but it's a true message. It's the message of the gospel. It's a message that we ought to be sharing. So that doesn't add to our popularity either. When our message is based on the truth of condemnation and of sin, and of the lake of fire and eternal punishment. It's also why that message is so important to be shared. Because that is the consequence. It's the true real life consequence. Everyone wants to do be nowadays the wishy-washy, oh, you can believe in what you want. Let's all be happy and join hands and kumbaya and whatever, right? Oh, you want to believe in Allah? Good for you. You want to believe in Buddha? Good for you. Let's all hold hands and have peace and everything like that. We don't want to judge you. We don't want to have a, a, a negative statement on you. We don't want to offend you, right? All peace are faithful. All faiths are peaceful, right? All faiths are good, right? It's your religion, your belief, my religion, my belief, all that. That's antithetical to what God teaches. God teaches the exact opposite. You believe this, you're wrong. You need Jesus. You are believing something that's leading you to the path to hell. We want to rescue you. We want to save you from that path. That's why it's so important we do things like flyer passing, inviting people out, all these things, Chinese school, all these other things. Why? The consequence is hell. The consequence is hell. Do you think about it in that terms? If you think about it in terms of how the consequence is hell, we have to do our best and persevere no matter what, even when it comes to people make fun of us, people don't like us, right? doesn't matter. It's still God's work. We continue through these trials with love and compassion to do this work of planting the seeds, right? We do our best to make ourselves 
well-liked because we know our message isn't well-liked. Why is our testimony so important? It's because you're setting it up for the point when you lower that hammer. When you say, hey, you need Jesus. Hey, when you share that message. You want to be able to speak. Speak with the message of, hey, this is a person that seems trustworthy. This is a person that we know is a, 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 a good person that's earnestly talking to us. Maybe we ought to listen to it. You know, just yesterday, I heard this a story from this missionary from Taiwan. So he's a missionary in Taiwan. And, uh, and he talked about uh, his family in Taiwan. So he's, uh, you know, he was this white guy, like many of our missionaries, right? He went to Taiwan, and he married a Chinese lady when he's in Taiwan, right? So he married a Chinese lady. The Chinese lady was the only Christian in her own whole family, right? The only Christian in her own family. And so, you know, they've been together for many, many years, right? They had children, they had kids, all that kind of stuff. And then last year, his father-in-law got cancer. He had cancer. The father-in-law had cancer. And so, of course, they tried to preach the gospel to him. Now that he has cancer and stuff, right? And sure enough, you know, he had been around them all these years, right? And they've been praying for him all these years. And now faced, you know, his own mortality, facing death, he decided to accept Jesus Christ as a savior. And he got saved, right? Through the work of that missionary and his, da- and, and his own daughter, right? And he got saved, and he had cancer, right? And nine months later, he died, right? And he died. No surprise when you have cancer, right? And so they had a funeral. They had a funeral for him. And because he had gotten saved, and because he had turned his life over to Jesus, they decided to have a Christian funeral. And they had invited out all the family, right? It's a funeral. You got to invite all the family. Again, this family, all of them. They all believed in their Buddhist and ancestors worship, traditional, whatever type background they had, right? And it's telling us about how all these people, this is the first time they ever in their life set foot inside a church. Their whole lives, many of these people were so against it, right? They never want to hear the gospel or anything about Jesus or whatever. They're stuck in their way, right? They came out to this funeral, and they heard what happened there, and they saw the pe- they heard the message there, they saw how the people were acting there, and some of them, the family members, again, that never knew anything about Jesus, never anything about God or whatever, they came up and talked to this missionary, right? They said, wow, I never knew being a Christian was like this. They told him that. They told him, like, oh, you guys are so you know, confident, like this is a Christian funeral, like he died, right? You're so confident. He says, yeah, we're confident because we know that he's in heaven right now. He's rejoicing in heaven right now, right? And many people were curious and just like fascinated, like, whoa, what is this about? What, why are you guys acting like this? Someone died, right? He's dead now. You guys are happy. You guys are celebrating, rejoicing. And through that funeral, through that guy's life, the message was planted. Through the actions of that family, the way they had carried their testimony, the way they carried themselves, that that gospel message was at least planted in the hearts of many people at that funeral that day, that whole family full of people that didn't believe. Whether or not they get saved or not, who knows? Whether or not they get added to church or not, who knows? That's going to be between, again, as we said from the outset, between Jesus and them. But at the very least, that gospel message is implanted in their hearts and for some people, maybe even perked up in their hearts. They had to think like, whoa, maybe there's something to this. I see what happened in this guy's life. I see what happened with this family. I see all these Christians acting like this. I'm curious. I wonder, maybe I want to know more about it. 
who knows, right? That missionary is going to keep working on it and keep praying for those people and so on, right? And likewise, we ought to do the same, right? That we would live our lives as a testament to God, to Jesus, that we can share his message and plant his seed as many times as possible. Let's just be honest. If this is some guy you hate and he comes up to you and he says, you're going to hell, you need to repent. You'd be like, well, I don't want to listen to this guy. He's a jerk. He's an idiot. I don't want to hear him ever again talk to me. But if this is a guy who's your friend, someone you love, someone you trust, someone you know is a good person, you see it in his life, and he says to you, I know, you know, it, it's painful to say this, but you know what? You might be going to hell if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the person that does a better job planting the seed. Do they not? That's why we've got to do this work for God. We've got to do it the best we can. It's a matter of life and death. Now, final point, final point, and we're running long time here. The final point is that obviously after we get them into the church, after we spread this gospel message to them, after God does his work in saving them, we minister to them, right? And it says right here in, chat, in verse 41 and 42 of Acts what kind of stuff happens, right? They got baptized, right? In verse 41, they got baptized. In verse 32, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, meaning they studied the word of God. They studied what was right, how, what God teaches, right? They uh, had fellowship, right? They broke bread. They had the Lord's Supper, right? And they prayed. You know, prayer is prayer. You guys know that. We continue on in all those things. Those are important two parts of building up the church to build them up so that one day those people too can help out and continue to spread the gospel message to others, just like the gospel message was spread to them. Those are the next steps for uh, all Christians, hopefully. So all that being said, I'm going to wrap up with a few things, right? A few quotes here to just sum up what we've been talking about. It's said here by Billy Sunday. What did he say? There's too many churches are little more than four walls and a roof, right? The church is not made up of this building, right? We don't build this building, this church better by building the building bigger and bigger and bigger. What did Jack Kyle say? It says a church doesn't necessarily need space to grow. It's not about how much space you have, right? It needs the power of God. We need to help God be able to release his power on as many people as possible. We need to help him set the stage for that power to be made evident to as many people as possible. That's why we pass out these flyers to as many people as possible, to get them in this door where they can hear that message as much as possible. That's our hope for Chinese school, that they get stuck here for a whole year, right? Where they hear us talking over and over again about Jesus, believe in Jesus, don't go to hell, over and over and over again. That's how we plant the gospel seeds. We do it in our lives, we do it through this, we do it through other things. We do it through the way we ought to be living our lives, the way we ought to be building God's church. Let's pray. Dear God, we're in the Chinese school season here, we're trying to build up your church we're trying to build it up so that we have a church that grows in numbers. Numbers are important. You said it back in the book of Acts, noting like how many thousands Peter was able to get saved. You know, it's, you know, we live in an age now where church isn't as popular, where it's hard for us to get thousands of people to hear your message. But Lord, we're going to try to do everything we can to get as many people as we know to hear that message. And we know with this flyer passing, we're trying to get as many people as, as we can through the doors of Chinese school so they can hear that message. So that hopefully this church can grow in numbers, Lord. Lord, 
We ask that you watch over our efforts and we watch over this season and we watch over everything going on here at church today and ask that you watch over us the rest of this week through all the events and everything else going on to be with each and every member of this congregation as we strive to honor and glorify you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.